Uh, yes, the second reading. Folks, this is our reading for that for um, the sermon from Matthew chapter six, and we pick it up. Um, Jesus teaching his disciples. We pick it up from uh, verse nineteen. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagan runs after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thank you, Rob. It'd be great uh, to keep your Bible open as we work our way through this passage. Uh, I've personally found that I, I used to use my phone, but I, I find it hard to get the whole context uh, when, I'm, when I'm looking at things. So I've sort of gone back to uh, my paper Bible. But uh, you, you use whatever works for you. And I'll certainly have, or will continue to have the verses up on the screen, uh, at least for the time being while we're using the live stream. But uh, let me pray as we get into this passage today. Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word now, help us to see your goodness and grace and help us to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Amen. Well, today we're talking about worry, uh, which is different to a concern or perhaps a healthy fear. So I, I like to ride a push bike uh, and a motorbike. And, you know, sometimes a little bit of healthy concern is good. It's good to imagine the things that can go wrong and then, you know, take certain precautions. You know, put a little blinking light on the back of my push bike. That'll stop them. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's healthy. Uh, but worry is different. Worry is where we take that sort of concern or even that healthy fear and then we amplify it and distort it. So it goes from being something constructive to something destructive. You know, worry is about imagining the worst and then fixating on that problem. Uh, so I, I like the rocking chair. Uh, mine's just as superficial. I'm going the, 
Or is it a bit like that little spinning wheel on your computer? So if you own a Mac, you'll experience this more than a PC. But you know that little wheel that just goes round and round and round and round? And, and lots of motion, but, but going nowhere. Except all, all you end up doing is going a little nuts. Uh, but I think worry is a bit like that sometimes. It just sits in your brain. And of course, the more we worry, the more our imagination starts to spiral out of control. So it starts off, I've got two daughters who drive, so it starts off with, you know, my daughter is coming down the pass in the rain at night and she might have an accident. And then that becomes, she's coming down the pass late at night and it's raining and she's going to have an accident. And then by the time I've finished, I'm standing by the hospital bed, um, you, know, uh, you know, looking at what's happened after the accident. But of course, none of that worry has produced anything of any value. It's just gone around in my head. And right now, uh, we've got a property market that's going through the roof, which is really good news if you own property. But then that creates all sorts of worries. How do you make the most of this opportunity? Uh, should I sell now? But if I sell now, perhaps the price will go up. Or if I don't sell, perhaps the price will go down. And maybe I should fix the place up a bit, and I should paint the front door. But you'll know, if you've been to Bunnings lately, that's no small decision. <laughs> you know, even if you just want to paint the thing white. You know, we've got Arctic white, we've got warm white, we've got antique USA white, we've got, you know, flannel in the spring white. You know, which one do you choose? And if you don't own a property, well, then you start to imagine, well, one day I'm not going to be working, and then... How will I afford a place to live? And before you know it, you know, you're, you're dumpster diving at KFC. Uh, or worse still, Subway. You know, so there's just so much to worry about. But if that isn't enough, uh, then we can worry about our work and our health. There's plenty of opportunity to worry about friendships and relationships and our marriage. It's a lot and it's relentless. So last week, uh, we started our new series uh, called reframing our emotions. We're working our way through for four weeks. And I use the metaphor of our emotions being like a roller coaster. And it's a combination of biology and our circumstances, but also how we respond to our circumstances. So last week, our focus was on despair. And we looked at Psalm 13, and David was sharing his journey from despair to seeking God, and finally to recognising God's unfailing love and his salvation and his goodness. And that brings him to a place of trust and praise and rejoicing. And so we're going to see some of those same things today. And for David, even though his circumstances didn't change, as he journeys through the psalm, his perspective completely changes. So, as we start our passage today, Jesus challenges our perspective on life. Where do we find our security and our sense of value? So, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, if we think that life is all about me and the present then understandably, we're going to do everything in our power to make life as pleasurable and as secure as possible. And it doesn't really matter what we have, does it? We always think life would be just that little bit better if I have that little bit more. And so we're kind of hoping that all of this stuff that we accumulate is going to bring us to a place where our soul will be at peace. 
where we can genuinely rest and be content and feel respected and just sort of bask in the happiness of our stuff. And this sort of perspective is reinforced every single day as we live in a society that talks a lot about consuming less as it continues to encourage us to consume more. Uh, So I read uh, this uh, little excerpt from an article a few years ago, but it stood out in my mind. It said, according to research by Microsoft, Consumers can be exposed to as many as 600 messages or signals a day from brands hunting ears, eyeballs, and ultimately wallets and purses. That's an awful lot of advertising. And so to pick up uh, from verse 22, which we also read last week, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if our eyes are full of you need more, then that's going to influence our heart. So this isn't about literally having enough food to survive or clothing to wear. This is about where do we place our treasure? What does our heart value more than anything else? You know, what makes us feel safe? And sadly, when it comes to money, uh, it's never enough. Uh, In the words of Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. So what we value, we pursue, and we worry about. So we have two problems. We treasure the wrong things, and then we worry about these things that we treasure. So Jesus sees this perspective. His reaction is a combination, I think, of pity and rebuke. You know, this is what we should expect from the world, but this isn't what Jesus expects from his followers. You know, from our perspective, it's not about just about the present and what we want. It's understanding who are we before God. What does God want for his creation? And he wants us to align our heart with his heart for humanity. And that sort of God-orientated thinking is only ever going to happen with God's help. You know, to pick up the language of Ezekiel, we need God to move our heart from being hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And so just like David last week, the way forward and the way out is to start to recognise God's unfailing love. And so he says, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. And if what Jesus is saying is true in terms of what we eat, it's equally true in terms of what we wear. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, ye of little faith? You know, Jesus makes the point with birds and flowers because these are common and in, in the worldly terms, unvaluable things. And he's saying, if God values these things, then how much more does he value us? You know, us who are created in his image. You know, us who he died for on the cross to pay the price for our sin. You know, he gave all of creation for us to enjoy. Now, with that comes responsibility, but it's all here for us. I think when we start to recognise that, then our value shifts. 
uh, it shifts from being all about me to understanding who we are before God. So verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So the solution starts by recognising where do we get our value and security, but also how do we see the present in light of God's bigger picture? Because as we seek the kingdom of God first, then we see what Christ has done for us. He's saved us. He's He's made us part of his kingdom. And that's both a present reality, but also something that we look forward to being fulfilled perfectly in the future. And so when we start to sort of see our present circumstances in light of that bigger picture, all of a sudden a lot of our worry seems very, very small. When we see it in the context of our salvation and what God has planned for the future, then me worrying about, you know, what clothes I wear or my type of shoes I wear just seems all that much more superficial. I think the irony in this verse, though, is even though it says... Seek first the kingdom of God. I think we then gravitate to the back half of the verse that seeking first the kingdom of God is the means by which all these things will be given to me as well. So before we've even sort of got to the end of the verse, we've already gone back to focusing on well, how does that help me in the present? You know, we keep wanting to bring things back to what is God going to do for me now? Yeah, as Christians, even as Christians, you know, we talk about heaven, we talk about looking forward to heaven, but I think in real terms we often feel that this is kind of like the main meal. Okay, this is the bit that you get really excited about, and heaven is kind of that tasty little chocolate after dinner mint that you have with your coffee at the end. Yeah, it's still good, but the real, you know, meaty bit, the thing you really look forward to is the main meal. The Bible turns that whole perspective up the other way. Uh, that this is the beginning. This time of life is absolutely precious. But it is a small part of a bigger picture. The most common uh, reading of this passage, and I think this is one of bit I've struggled with the most this week, is to read this passage as a promise that God will always provide for our most basic needs. Uh, so we might not get everything we want, but we will always have everything we need if we trust in Christ. And I think the temptation of that is to turn into a little bit of a prosperity type of perspective. Uh, And even if you think about the birds of the air and and the the flowers in the field, even birds and and flowers die. Okay, That's just part of life. We continue to live in the brokenness of a sinful world. Uh, everything is broken. We, we don't just see it within our heart, we see it in creation as well. And so I don't think Jesus is talking here about guaranteeing our basic needs. What he's saying here is, I, I do provide for you. We, do, we are provided for every day. That's, that's a general principle. But even if in the present uh, someone was to starve, then in Christ we still have a complete and certain hope that we will not go hungry for eternity. Uh, and so next week, uh, we're going to focus on uh, Romans 8. Uh, Pete will be leading that passage. So at the risk of preempting a little bit of that, I think it shows the principle, which I won't go into too long today because, you know, he wouldn't appreciate that. But, but this is what Romans 8 says. And I think it captures the, the tension here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution 
or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we are all going to face crises. Uh, and we need to be reminded that even in this life, uh, God has got it. But even when we say God has got it, we don't mean God is going to make it all work out the way I want it to work out. God has got it. He is in control. He is sovereign. But he will work out things according to his timing and his will. And if it's not in the present, if things don't work out the way that we hoped in the present, then he's certainly secured our future. And so we do want to think about you know, present outcomes, but we also want to think about, well, how do we seek his kingdom, but also then how do we live now in light of that future? So we've been made right with God uh, through Jesus. So we have a righteousness from God, and we're now called to live out that righteousness, to submit to his lordship. And so that changes how we worry about the present and the future, but also how we deal with the present. So Matthew, uh, verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, if worry is about fixating on the things you can't control, and maybe perhaps isn't even real, uh, what he's talking about here is those troubles where, which we can control, where actually we can do something about it. And when we can deal with a problem, then let's deal with it today. Yeah, so that righteousness uh, is made possible through what Jesus achieved on the cross, but then it will show in how we respond to our circumstances. So in the words of David from last week, do we trust his unfailing love? Uh, do we trust that God will provide comfort and strength as we walk through the darkest valleys? Yeah, it's a righteousness that should want to be generous with our money and think about how do we use our possessions, not just for our pleasure, but for other people's good. And it sees the value of possessions not in terms of our benefit and storing up treasure now, but to share and to love other people. It chooses self-control as opposed to selfishness. And it desires reconciliation rather than rights. And so when we get that right, then to pick up the language of our, of our first reading, we start to have a, a genuine peace that transcends all understanding. That we're now living the way God has created us to live. Where we're honouring God, uh, where we're secure in our salvation, and we're secure in our future. You know, there's this great prayer that's often associated with Alcoholics Anonymous. It was written by a guy called Reinhold Niebuhr. Uh, and I think it's a very act, uh, apt prayer when it comes to worry. You might have heard it before. It says, God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to know the difference. So what are some practical things we can do to think through how we respond to worry? Uh, I think the first one is we need to recognise that we need God's help because we have a natural sinful desire and an inclination to store up treasure on earth rather than treasure in heaven. And we've got a natural inclination to worry. So we need to change our perspective and for that to happen we're going to need God's help. It's going to need to start from the inside and work its way out. 
And as we pray to God, then I think it's helpful to identify not just what are we worrying about, but to try to reflect on why we're worrying about those things. What is it, what's going to happen with this worry? Uh, is it about our reputation? Is it about uh, our health? Uh, is it about our security? Uh, what's driving this worry? I think that's helpful to acknowledge. Uh, to God, perhaps it's helpful to talk with other people as well. Uh, secondly, we need to start by seeing life in the bigger picture. Because as we do that, a lot of those worries start to look a lot smaller in the context of our salvation and our eternal future. I think thirdly, we need to stop focusing on what we don't have, and we tend to look at people who have more and envy them, rather than looking at what we do have and being thankful. And so let's work hard at being thankful at what we have and what God has provided for us. And particularly for us in the Australian context, we are so incredibly blessed. And I think we can just take that for granted. It's, you know, I've used the illustration before, but it's like scenery. You know, when you live somewhere really beautiful, you just drive past it every day, you stop looking at it. You just sort of take it for granted because it's, it's your world. Uh, but I think sometimes we need to stop and look and see that God has been so good to us. I think, fourth, we need to focus on how we might honour God in our circumstances, whatever they are. So that's how do we respond to what God has put before us. And I think particularly when things get difficult. How is this an opportunity to grow in character? How is this an opportunity to persevere? How is this an opportunity to be a light to the world around us? Because people are going to watch and see. People don't watch us and go, how do you respond when things are good? The real testament to our faith is how do we respond when things are bad and when things are difficult? And so even in times of trial... There's an opportunity to honour God. And even when we fail and sin, how we repent uh, is an opportunity to testify to God's goodness and grace. And I think finally, where we have the power to deal with the troubles of today, then let's deal with them in a way that seeks to the kingdom of God and seeks his righteousness. And I think that's hard sometimes because we, we do like to procrastinate on the things that we find difficult. If there's a conversation you really don't want to have, then you've probably worked out all sorts of good reasons why you haven't had it yet. And you just keep worrying about it. That doesn't change. Uh, but you also procrastinate. So, you know, we, we sit in our worry rather than resolving it. So how do we deal with what we can deal with? We all know worry is destructive. It doesn't solve our problems. It just sits in our brain and it goes round and round. And if we're worrying about... But if we're worrying about storing up treasure on earth, then that really just adds to our misery, doesn't it? All of that energy is being directed to something that in the end is very transient. But here we see a way to work through worry. It helps us to see what's really important. And when we see it in the context of God's kingdom and seeking his righteousness, that provides us with a sense of perspective, but also a solution. Uh, when I was little, uh, I remember singing a song. I had to look it up again. I only had sort of one line. But I, I think it's quite a helpful uh, song uh, for thinking about, about worry or him. So let me close with these words. Uh, if you know it, then you're probably slightly older. Um, I think I was, I was reasonably young when I heard it, so the young ones will miss it. But it says this. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen.
Thank you so much, John. Um, much better than my analogy of the rocking chair. Thank you. Um, a great reminder that we do uh, seek our security and find our security in the treasures that we place our interest in, isn't it? And uh, often, so often, we seek after those wrong treasures. So thank you, John. Uh, next week, Pete Stacey is going to lead us uh, and open God's Word and talk through the concept of overcoming fear. So we look forward to that, Pete. And uh, morning tea this morning is going to be held up in the Demountable, as John introduced this morning, so please come and join us up there. So let me close in the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us evermore. Amen. Have a lovely day.